0: This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM.
0: Risk is our business.
1: It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I am Ken Tripp. And I'm Zach Moore. And we are thrilled to launch Standard Orbit Phase 3. Yeah, I guess that means we are the NCC-1701. Dash A in either timeline. And speaking <laughs> of that, we're going to dive deep into Star Trek Beyond. Finally, we've been getting our systems aligned to the new format. Uh we've had a little extended shore leave after Star Trek Las Vegas. And now we're ready to punch it. That's so right. the the parking brake is off. The parking brake is off. That's right. You had to check your what was it? The the inertial Inertial dampeners? I, I don't remember. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, all I know is it was released. So here we go. So Star Trek Beyond. Zach, let me get your initial thoughts of
0: the movie. I really enjoyed Star Trek Beyond. I feel like it is the Star Trek movie we deserved. It was a return to form after, you know, you've heard our discussions on Star Trek 09 and Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, the general consensus uh, between, uh, well, me and you, Ken, was that uh, Into Darkness it was a little bit of a disappointment, uh, same thing with Jeff. I know Norm is a big fan of Into Darkness, but, uh, I feel like we're back on track. I feel like this is the sequel that I wish we would have gotten after Star Trek 09 because it not only is it, it was a fun, entertaining movie. So it's a fun joy ride, summer popcorn movie, but it actually had some, some good Star Trek messages to it. And it really felt like an, uh, an expanded episode of the original series. You know, it felt like of the flavor, uh, flavor of the show, uh, there were lots of character moments you know the crew you know whenever you break up the crew and they each get their own kind of you know, adventure to go on and and, and, uh, and storyline and, and subplot that's always great because they each have their moment to shine everybody got that uh, Idris Elba was great as the villain we can get into that ironically I, I believe what I said uh, in our Star Trek Into Darkness discussion was you know what these movies that always feel like you have to have a twist <laughs> I'm sick of them <laughs> I wish they just tell us who the villain is and get it out of the way of course, as we all know now, it's exactly what they did not do here. There is a twist with Idris Elba and his character. Uh, we can get into that later. But all that being said, I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, and yeah, it really left me like really eager to see the next Star Trek movie, And uh, which which I wasn't necessarily that jumping for joy about where we go next after Into Darkness. I'm completely back on board. Justin Lin did a great job taking one for J.J. Abrams. You really can't even tell the difference uh visually you know it's the same visual language as as the last two films and that's always you know you go back and you look at franchises where there's a director change and, and a lot of times you're like oh yeah pretty obvious you know you look at like the batman movies of the 90s or or even uh even the x-men movies you know the early x-men movies when brian singer left and brett ratner took over for x3 i feel like the handoff from uh, abrams to Lim was great simon pegg wrote a great script he's obviously a huge fan and it shows uh, very respectful of, ma- of the material. And even all the absurd aspects like, uh, you know, the motorcycle and, and, and sabotage, <laughs> you know, being played, uh, came across very well as well. They, they really embraced the fun and the absurdity there. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm with you guys. You guys got me on that. So, so yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm really looking forward to Star Trek Four. So uh, what about you, Ken?
1: I'm pretty much aligned with you, Zach. I'll, I'll tell you what was fun is I, um, a few episodes ago, we were talking about Star Trek Six. And after Star Trek 5, I remember my biggest worry concern and sitting there in the theater before Star Trek 6 started was please let this be good, please let this be good, please let this be good because I'm a fan of the movies I'm afraid I'm a fan of the uh, the Kelvin timeline. I like you I loved O nine I I didn't hate into darkness. I didn't like it as a Star Trek movie as an action movie. I thought it was technically exciting to watch, but it it didn't work for me as a Star Trek movie so I was really hoping that I would like it. And I was also trying to ensure that I was keeping that um, that ability to be, I guess, dispassionate about it and just say, yes, is this a good movie or a bad movie? But right away, it, it pulled me right in. And I could see that this was going to be a very strong, and it was a very strong movie. And it's, it's interesting to me how Star Trek, on many occasions, has looked internally in order to improve their product. And what I mean by that is, you know you look in the original series movies and I wouldn't you know Star Trek 2 was great Star Trek 3 was pretty good but boy did it really start to take off with with Star Trek 4 right and okay. uh, it was the second movie with with Leonard Nimoy and he had a lot to do with the story just like he uh, he did with Star Trek 6 and you know they made this this great film uh, just this really really enjoyable film that that was able to be appreciated by general audiences and you look at First Contact, right? Um, I'm not a big Generations fan at all. Uh, they, they turned inward again with Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes. Um, and they pulled off a really good movie. And then if you go to this one, you know, this is the third film uh, that, that they've had as the reboot series. And they turned inward again. And they looked at Simon Pegg. Uh, to to come up big and and he did and he did he did a wonderful job and I think the handoff to Justin Lin was phenomenal I like his style it it was still a pretty fast paced movie but it wasn't your next you know um, getting whiplash and trying to keep up with it as a as a as a fast paced movie so I think it hit it hit its marks I think all the character development was great I I I, I enjoyed it thoroughly I felt like I was watching a true Representation of Star Trek in a Star Trek film, and I, I I was I was very happy when I when I saw it the first time, and and then as I started I, I've seen it three times I guess. The next two times, you know, when you after the first time is you're just kind of sit there in awe with your mouth open and you're trying mm-hmm. to catch every little detail, and then you're more comfortable the second and third sittings where you're, you're trying to poke out and find all the little Easter eggs and things like that. And the, the movie was just fun to go back and see a couple of times and. I'd like to see it again before it before it leaves the theater. So it, at this juncture, it's um, it's just about done its run in the U.S. Even though it's uh, it's opening now in China and Japan and a few other places coming in the next few months. But uh, yeah, it's it, it was a good ride, Zach, and I, I think you you put your finger right on it. It felt like an extended episode. It felt like this is Star Trek, and I, I give a lot of credit to those because I know there's a lot of people that kind of rode off. Um, this this new interpretation of star trek which is unfortunate because mm. like every star trek we've ever seen there's good and bad and um you know fans the way they are nowadays it's like they can be very unforgiving but hopefully uh, a lot of people have have gone and seen this movie and they have a different opinion of what can be done in the kelvin timeline and this cast this cast boy the chemistry just works they have become those characters and I feel like they they own them. They, they they really have their arms around it.
0: Yeah, I, I got to say this about the cast. Uh, one of the weaker links of the last two films has been to, to me has been uh, Kirk. I really didn't like the angle they took with him. Uh, not Chris Pine's fault. Uh, he was playing the part as it was written. But I feel like they finally wrote Kirk as a adult <laughs> here. You know, as like a yeah. a, a seasoned commander. Uh, he's not like frat boy Kirk, uh, stereotypical Kirk. Uh, I re- Chris Pine's Kirk was probably my favorite part of this movie. So I mean, for me, that's huge because I mean, he being the weaker, one of the weaker links of the last two movies, for him to be the the, the shining star here, he really came into his own. And I didn't, I didn't see this. Oh, it's this the reboot Captain Kirk? I saw. Hey, that's that's Captain Kirk, and and he had a great. This was a great story for him, uh, and so I was very pleased to see that with Beyond.
1: I agree. There's a lot of great character moments in this movie. A lot of them. And I think you see the maturity in, in Captain Kirk. And they started writing him the way he should have been written from the beginning. I understand he's different because of the way he grew up in this timeline. I get all that. But uh, I thought they, they played a little too hot and heavy. You can be tongue-in-cheek and you can wink back to the past and you can have fun with things. you know, Just like they did in, in Star Trek Six when you know he's he's fighting Iman and it's himself and he's I can't believe I kissed you and that must have been your lifelong a- ambition. <laughs> what a what a great you know play on himself and 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 that's the kind of thing that I think is funny when it's when it's a little bit of a wink and the nod to the audience. And you're right, I think in the first two movies this this James D. Kirk, a constant rule breaker, and this that was never his character. You know it never was his character. Yes. There were some occasions where he made decisions that were quote unquote against the rules and all that other stuff, but that that shouldn't define him and his character and his career. And this movie, this this movie finally got us away from that and put him in the center seat with all the, I guess you know, heavy lies the crown, all the responsibility and everything that goes along with being responsible for. I don't, I, I can't remember how big this ship is. I know it's as big as the next generation ship, right, uh, the the D. So I don't know if it has a 1,000 people on it, but let's say it's a 1,000 people. That's a lot to be responsible for, and and you could see that it, it definitely had a uh, an impact on him, you know, just instead of being the cowboy and running these missions and running back to Earth, being uh, three years in space, the impact that that has on him and his team was very apparent and it was very well written. Right, right, and, you know, speaking of character moments, we've been, you know, both
0: been hitting on that point. I think, you know, to start off the movie strong with a, you know, a scene between uh, Kirk and Bones, which is very reminiscent of of uh, the Captain Pike scene in the cage with Dr. Yep. Boyce. And then and then, you know, other similar scenes with with Kirk and McCoy throughout the, the show, just a quiet moment between the two guys, two friends, you know, kind of sharing their heart over over a glass uh it was just nice to start out kind of well you know we had a real action opening right but then immediately following that was this nice slow moment between the two of them and uh that that that's a moment you would not have seen in in the first two films
1: no i, I agree i agree and um that so you're right that with bones and captain kirk very special bones and McCoy being separated had some great lines in that in that in that piece and uh openly laughing and smiling I thought that um the relationship between Scotty and, and Kayla was um was also phenomenal. Uh they, they, they played those those characters very, very well. And then Uhura and uh, Sulu and of course Kirk and, and Chekhov too. So I mean the whole the whole dynamics, the pairing off, I think I was like a lot of people, um when it was made very clear that very early on in the show the the Enterprise gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. And um and I was like, oh no, I, I I really was hoping for more of a being on the bridge type movie uh, where they, you know, that type of thing but you know what, I can't, they did it right, they, they, they they had that all right, Um, the action sequences and that were powerful, it was, it was done very well and it really allowed us to see these characters flourish all dealing with different issues And, 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 and it worked well so, yeah i agree with you i thought the the bones and uh captain kirk moment was was really special and i think all the other moments that happened within the movie worked very well and it all culminated perfectly i think at the end i think they wrapped it in a very nice bow at the very end when they were celebrating kirk's birthday
0: mm. yeah 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 because you keep this under wraps then it throws them a surprise party that was a great a great moment and uh yeah, you know, uh, throughout throughout the whole movie, you know, the Kirk, uh, Kirk, not Kirk, uh, Spock and Spock and Bones, right? We we finally got some more of McCoy and Carl Urban's McCoy uh, here because I mean, yeah, he he had it, he had a, the first half of Star Trek 09. he had a big part because he was you know Kirk's best friend at the academy, but then uh, criminally underused in into darkness. And yep. it was good to see him more prominent here, especially his little subplot with Spock. And pretty much throughout the whole movie, it's him and Spock are, you know, buddy cops. <laughs> so uh, they play off each other great. And uh, and Carl Urban, right? I mean, he's, to, to me, he, he um, really, out, out of all the characters, out of all the casting, he's the one that comes across the most as like the, the, the channeling DeForest Kelly's uh, Dr. McCoy, not in a parody way or anything like that, but just, man, I can totally feel it with, with him. Uh, the the even through all the catchphrases and all that it, it it's he elevates it from just being you know oh he's dead Jim and you know all that kind of stuff uh he's he's a real character and yet it's still it's like the true spiritual successor
1: to DeForest to Kelly's McCoy yeah and and you know the, when we talk about character moments the scene where Spock and Kirk uh, re- reach that mutual understanding that it's going to be McCoy that has to pilot that craft that at the swarm that's going towards the Yorktown. And and I thought it was set up beautifully with uh, with Captain Kirk and his oh man he's gonna love this right <laughs> and then his his reaction was was perfect I, I mean uh, uh, Bones's reaction and and getting beamed out in the whole nine yards it, it just you know it it was just a movie that had you smiling all along because I think it's twofold for me Zach you know I'm I'm an original series guy. I love all the other Star Trek series. Don't get me wrong, but I, I am an original series guy, so I really want these characters to be successful. I want these movies to be successful, because this is what I grew up with, and they've reinterpreted them so well. And that's what I remember most about watching the movie was just that constant smile on my face, because they had that playful interaction, that that um, that amount of familiarity that they really captured well in in the in the uh, Star Trek movies, uh, you know, as as, as well as. Well, even by the first season of the original series, the chemistry amongst those guys was phenomenal, and they just had it. So they, you know, I don't know. I, I hope it's not lightning in a bottle, but mm-hmm. um, you know, and and I know they're they're ready to go with Star Trek four, and I know there's a lot of questions about uh, the finances on this movie, and you know they, they they did spend a lot more money than they were intending to spend, and you know, will it make it? Will it not? Well, it sounds like Star Trek four's got to go, and that that's wonderful. And and my my hope is that um, they can they can take a lot of the, the the lessons that are learned from this movie and translate it into the next one and make it just as much fun because it's it's not going to be easy to be this good. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, and you know I just I just hope they continue the momentum from this film because yeah you know the box office isn't there. Unfortunately, it's it's the lowest of the three uh kelvin timeline films but you know i i I chalk that up to the fact that it took them so long to get these movies out and you know into darkness was kind of divisive so now that we have a movie that anyone i've seen you know talk to internet real life whatever across the board anyone who sees beyond likes it like i haven't come across one person who's like oh that
1: was terrible like uh, what about i mean have you seen anyone that hasn't liked it ken or I've seen it on Facebook surprise surprise but no I haven't I haven't talked to anyone I've spoken with anybody who thought it was a bad movie or or had anything really bad to say about it. I think that there's a couple of factors in its in its financial performance. One, it came out, you know, mid to late July amongst a midst of other blockbuster movies that just didn't do well at all starting with Independence Day and mm. boy, you can you can check them all off the it's box. It's been a tough summer, yeah. It's been a tough summer and the only movies that really did do well were animated. So if you were a little kid and you were going to the movies <laughs> with your parents, it was it was great, you know, and and I think uh you know, you look across the board, uh, Suicide Squad, I mean, it's killing it money-wise, but it's it's getting it's getting pan too and if you look um Jason Bourne didn't do that well. Uh, there was a lot of very expensive movies that, that, for whatever reason, couldn't find their niche. And I think Star Trek Beyond, if you if you're if you're measuring it against what it costs to make 185 million dollars, yeah, it's 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 struggling to make money from that. And I know there's there's additional funds that get tied up in marketing. So let's say 210, 220 for whatever the sake is, but mm-hmm. um, its global haul is well beyond that so it's well it's beyond beyond yes it's global hall has, <laughs> is I, th- I think it's in the um in the mid 200s i'll have to check box office mojo at some point and it hasn't opened in china yet which as you could see when the, the, the um the movie opened alibaba is a big investor into this movie so they're promoting it high and i know that the cast was just out in china for the premiere last week and it takes a week or two for those funds to be captured and then loaded up. So I think the movie will do okay. It will make money. It has already it has already been I guess deemed profitable, but um, it not not like the other ones which were in the four hundred some odd million dollar range, which is crazy money. And I think that for Star Trek four, if they could produce this show, and I think they could knowing nothing about making movies by the way but i'm just i'm thinking they could make a a decent star trek for 100 to 120 million you know they don't have yeah, to create. there there's absolutely no reason a star
0: trek movie should cost 185 million dollars that is just ridiculous now i feel like maybe some of that cost came from the you know Roberto Orsi and and their initial team was was going to make this movie and they scrapped all that and had to start from scratch with Justin Lin so i feel like maybe that that's part of the additional cost um you know pre-production for that film and obviously that won't ha- <laughs> fortunately <laughs> but let's hopefully <laughs> that won't happen again next time they'll have a clear vision going from the start so they won't have to you know restart things uh and you, you can easily tell like we were saying uh tell a story on the enterprise make it not not a bottle movie but you can put most of it sure like on a standing set you don't have to make these giant cgi environments and stuff which is fine which is great it's great to see the scope that's just so great about these Kelvin timeline movies. It hasn't been since the motion picture we've gotten s- such a big theatrical scope f- films for Star Trek. Right. But you know, tell tell a smaller story just on standing sets, you know, or mostly standing sets. Save a lot of money. You know, pick a good time to release. I mean, it's so hard to tell who could have you know forecasted the fact that we have dud after dud this summer when they when they pick this release date. But you know, I have found that maybe you know the the, the winter might be the better time to release Star Trek. Although Star Wars now it seems to be put, putting its flag in the ground for December. So I, I don't know. You don't want to get released too close to Star Wars. So lots of, lots of angles they could take moving forward. But, uh, you know, I did look up, as, as you were talking there, Ken, I looked up on Box Office Mojo. Worldwide, as of today, as of this recording, uh, Star Trek Beyond has $231 million in this worldwide box office and still to be released in some other areas. So that that is no doubt going to rise so that's good and uh the you know, they, they've announced star trek 4 already yep. um so that's that's coming at, you know since it's the fourth movie there's gonna be time travel you know just like this was the third movie and they're gonna blow up the enterprise <laughs> so, and then and, and the second movie was con so you know that's that's what we're doing i guess chris pine's gonna direct star trek uh five but uh that, be that as it may uh you know it's I kind of reference it there. We don't know if it's going to be a time travel or not, but it has been said that Chris Hemsworth is going to come in for Star Trek 4, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing. We get we can talk about that later when we kind of wrap up our final thoughts. On right. the movie. But, but bottom line, uh, across the board, people are pleased with this movie. Right. And that is something that could not be said for the last movie. So just by its very definition, this movie was a success.
1: I agree. I agree. So from that perspective, moving into the movie itself and not the periphery, yeah, what was the key impact moments for you in this movie, Zach?
0: You know, key impact moments, that that is I will say on the whole, I liked the movie, right? I really enjoyed it. It, it had but I would still probably rank Star Trek 09, me personally, above this one, because I feel like Star Trek 09 had several moments that were like moments for me, like, oh yeah, that's that's a moment. That's a that's a hit me in the feels moment, that's a stand up and cheers moment. Beyond, I didn't feel like it had as many like moments per se. It was a great whole. But there wasn't like I couldn't tell you like one individual scene that was like, oh, man, this one this scene made the movie for me. You know, there was no like uh, Kelvin crashing into the Narada moment in this movie for me or old Spock moment here. I couldn't identify one like, oh, well, this is why this scene right here is why
1: I love this movie. So that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. What, what are your thoughts on that? Kevin? I had several, actually. And, and there were a lot of things that that made this movie feel like it all, all came home to me. And I think the first impact moment was the way that the Enterprise was destroyed and watching Kirk's reaction to everything that was happening around him. I thought it was powerful moment. And, uh, they, you know, we talk about saving money, right? But when they spent that money to to launch him off the ship <laughs> and he's looking down at the saucer section going into the atmosphere and, and all the things that are trailing behind it, and and also when the ship struck the planet, just how durable and powerful that ship is, right? I mean... Mm it says a lot for that swarm and i don't know how many of those ships i guess wound up getting destroyed trying to kill the enterprise but um to me that was one very powerful moment because i'm you know i i can imagine what it must feel like to be the captain and and losing the ship and watching it occur right i mean it's it's tough so that that was that was one big moment i thought that um i thought scotty had several and I, I, you know Simon Pegg just does it right he he just plays a great Montgomery Scott and he plays him you know both seriously and he plays him funny and Scotty was like that he really was if you go back to the original series you know he would swing he could Mm -hmm. be somebody that could be very serious and you know he's the he's the engineer but he could also be the guy with the quips and the lines and and it went from the series into the movies and and um and Simon Pegg did a, a great job with that, you know. And and I like that he was even a little bit more casual in Cavalier, especially, you know, and that handsome bastard right there is James <laughs> T. <St>. Kirk. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was, there was just a lot of great little lines like that that I, that I thought were great. And then as, as far as the truest, biggest impact moment for me, you're going to feel, uh, this is where I get all wishy-washy with Star Trek and get emotional, was the new ship at the end. But the second... I knew that they were losing the original ship. There was a part of me um that was really really hoping that before the movie ends, before it goes away, there's a new ship. Whether it was still under construction, it would have been fine. The fact that they did that kind of a montage and they did a you know that high time speed lapse, construction. Yeah. Yep, time lapse, yeah. Uh to to bring it in is fine, but I was so that that made me smile when the three of them were looking up there and 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 the way the movie ended, I wish it was a little slower because I'm a geek and I really love to uh, to check out the ship and the new ship. And I've been trying to capture every picture online I can of the NCC 1701A because the refit Enterprise from the original movies is my favorite Enterprise of all time. Same, same here. And, you know, it's just it's just sleek looking, and it and it looks like they've made enough adjustments. Um, to the to the, they made some slight adjustments even to the one that was shown before it got destroyed from the original version but um but this one it it really looked cool and and I was so thrilled about it. I mean I can't wait to see if there's some model kits out there and and really understand I'm looking for those for those things online where they show you this was this was the uh, the enterprise that came out from 09 this is the one from Into Darkness cuz the other you know there was some changes made when it was put back together and then this one uh, to me, the enterprise has always been my favorite character of Star trek um uh, more than any of the people and people say oh it 's always about the it's it 's about the people, not the ship nay, nay, i say <laughs> it is um it is about the vessel that is getting you to these adventures um that brings that family together uh that makes everybody feel like they're home and For me, the movie ended perfectly because they all came home and it looks like they 've got a sexy new home to 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 check out and so i you no, know, I'm I'm that geek that's waiting for Star Trek Four and it's like I can't wait to see what they've done with the bridge. I can't see. So I can't wait to you, see what they've added.
0: Were you hoping for a, a Star Trek Four kind of ending where they're on the bridge and all that, so you could see the inside?
1: Well, I, I'm okay that that it ended the way it did. I just wanted. I was just thrilled that that was that moment. Okay, they have gotcha. a new ship, so they're continuing. I,
0: I thought that was pretty clever that they didn't show you the inside because you know, as yeah. we all know now from Star Trek Four uh serious continuity break because the (laughs) the enterprise in star trek 5 looks nothing like the inside of the end of star trek 4 because obviously they were using the old set so that was very clever where they like okay here's the ship we in that that leaves them the ability to kind of redesign the bridge and other things if they see fit you know to not lock them into a certain aesthetic
1: but but I,
0: i follow what you're saying i follow what you're saying
1: yeah i'm just anxious to see it but i'm no i'm not upset that they didn't show the inside I think they gave us a great tease you know always mm-hmm. leave them wanting more and exactly. they did it perfectly so that was probably it's funny that it was the last thing uh last piece of the movie but that was the biggest impact moment to me I well so you, you,
0: you hearing you say this you know there probably is one not not and like i said not that the movie didn't like get me into the feels and stuff for me there was one moment when spock was opening up when quinto spock was opening up nimoy spock's belongings at the end property of ambassador spock he's uh-huh. going through his stuff and you're like oh He's gonna, gonna, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew they were going to pull something out, and and he opens up this little folder, or, or wallet, if you will, and it's a it's a picture of the original cast from, ironically enough, Star Trek V, <laughs> which
1: it was ironic, <laughs> but it was still very poignant. No,
0: yes. no, I found it amusing. That it was from that film, but uh, but yeah, that was a great moment, and the way the music came in right there, and you could just and that and you know because Spock had his own. Uh, throughout the, all these films, he's had this 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 uh, journey about like where do I belong? My home has been destroyed. Where should I go back to Vulcan? And and that was his plan in this film was to to retire from Starfleet, and and that was even his plan at the end of Star Trek 09 You know, uh, he was like, well, I'm going to go back to Vulcan, and 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 Nimoy Spock was like, no, no, there's two of us. I can do what you were going to do on Vulcan, and you, you know, live your life. And, uh, and so naturally, you know, uh, Quinto Spock, hearing that Nimoy Spock had passed away, he was like, well, I better go back and do that now. But seeing the picture there kind of is what, you know, carried the emotional journey, you know, f- for Quinto. Like, no, you know what, this is my place with these people, with my friends. I'm going to stay here. And uh, so that that, that, that did give me. I really, I really liked that moment. It was very subtle. And, and to, to speak further about, obviously, Leonard Nimoy passed away uh, before and during the production of this film, and I'm very hesitant to whenever they try to incorporate that kind of stuff into it, into a narrative, into a fiction. So I'm, I'm very like, okay, you got to, you got to handle this very deftly, very, very delicately. And they did. They like they absolutely did. handled it as well as it could be handled. And I really respected the way they went about handling the legacy of Leonard Nimoy uh, in this film, incorporating it into the story in a completely organic way.
1: Well, I, I, I don't think I can say it better, so I'm not going to repeat it. You. That moment was powerful. It was just wonderfully done when I saw that picture. And, um, the one area I'll deviate a little bit is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm funny with the, uh, the alternate universes and all that other stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and people, um, what, what's the term they use? Suspend disbelief. To me, that's sus- always suspend your belief. Suspend, suspend belief. Sus- suspend no, suspend your disbelief. You're right. So you right. can believe it, right? And and all that <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, I know it sounds like an oxymoron when I hear it too. And I and I I have always been this guy. It's like you know, um, there's people that are so deep into comic books and all that stuff. You know, Jeff's like that, and Norm. knows, you know, he worked for DC, so these guys know that stuff. Well, when I was a young kid, I was into comic books, but. You know, there was a certain point where it was like, I I put that all in the past and, and, and moved on. So I have a tougher time, I think, than most going, oh, this is an alternative timeline, right? To me, everything's linear. And if something goes back and screws up that line, then the line before it is erased. And so while I completely understand Star Trek Discovery, it's going to be in the prime time. So there are these two alternates, blah, blah, blah. I, it's funny, in my head, I don't play it that way, even though I know that's the way it's being played stupid well, as it star sounds star trek itself is
0: contradictory right i mean you episode like city on the edge of forever oh no something changed and now we have we have to go fix it or our timelines erased forever and then you have episodes like next generation parallels where it's like no everything happens in its own timeline so star trek itself yeah <laughs> kind of plays so fast and leaves with those rules <laughs> it,
1: it does and, I, and you know what i i don't you know i don't care about the rules so much and i you know and that's why I appreciate guys like that who have that ability just to go. Okay, hey, you know it's not real anyway. So just just switch <laughs> it to this is this is Star Trek Channel B, right? <laughs> now right. you're watching a different timeline. But for me, when they when they when he when he looked at that picture, it to me it brought it all home, right? That it's mm-hmm. it's one family, it's one continuity. It was the prime Spock that was back in this timeline. This was the timeline going forward uh everything that happened after it is completely and irrevocably changed somehow some way so you can start all over again and i understand you know it's like well that means ds9 it doesn't mean anything it just means to me it's it's tougher for me to to accept that it's just another timeline a different reality um i like living in the now and i just i found that that brought it all back to me so it, for me i really enjoyed that because it just showed that there is a connection uh between the two it brought that connection uh, you know, you stare at that picture that he's staring at, and you smile. You just smile, mm-hmm. because it's uh, it's it, it was such a warm thing and very clever thing to do, and I thought it brought old cast and, and new cast together in a very special and unique way. So that was a very key impact moment, and I think you articulated that perfectly.
0: Right. And, for, and for all you nitpickers out there who said, well, how would Spock have the, the picture? Listen, listen. It's like having a picture in your wallet you know, he had his whatever. He carried it on his person, small enough, you know, small remembrance keepsake he had with him, and his robe when he was on the uh, the jellyfish and got sucked in the black hole. So it's not like he had his uniform or anything crazy. I feel like that picture was just perfect, like story wise too, to have because obviously he didn't have his entire, he didn't pack his bags knowing he was going to go to an alternate universe. But a little picture like that in his pocket, completely believable. So, just for all you nitpickers
1: out there. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard anybody nitpick it, but I guess they're out there, huh?
0: Oh, they're out there. Trust me.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and they probably, oh, well, but Ken, they'd use that picture from your favorite movie. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that um, that uh, Kim Cattrall was probably in a lot of the promo shots for Star Trek 6. Well, no, you know, there, there is
0: one shot in Star Trek 6, which I felt like they probably should have used but I mean with just the original seven yeah. um but they didn't so but but sulu was a captain in that one so maybe they're thinking was well they were still the crew of the enterprise here but it, it's all good it's yeah all that, good. that makes a lot of sense
1: and i, I hey you know it was funny because i that's how big a geek we are right i mean the second <laughs> we're they show the picture,
0: movie the picture came
1: from. well there wasn't any debate you know as soon as they showed that picture i went oh that's from star trek five i mean right. it's it's funny that we know those little things Immedi- Yeah, we can immediately tell yeah what movie it's from Absolutely. oh yeah and there's there's a million of us like that right Yeah, <laughs> that's, what's, of that's what's even more scary we just saw you all of you we ago in Las Vegas so yeah Yeah, we we get it all right so in your opinion though was there anything that was missed that could have been brought stronger into focus in this movie if there was one area for improvement I would I would probably
0: say I would have liked uh crawl and the villain his story to be fleshed out a little more Mm-hmm. I under, I understand why it wasn't because they were trying to keep it a secret, much much like with Khan and in Into Darkness, but I, I felt like the twist worked. It was more it wasn't like a I am your father twist. It was more like a like a V'ger twist, you know. So it wasn't like it didn't irrevocably change your entire, you know, thoughts on the movie. It was just like, Oh, that's very interesting at the end when it's revealed that Crawl was in fact Captain Balthazar from the Franklin who was crash landed on this planet. Because, you know, when they casted Elba... I was like, "Oh, great. Idris Elba's a great actor. I love Idris Elba. Great to see him in a Star Trek film." Right. And then you and then you see the first like, you know, clip or picture of him like, "Oh, well they made him unrecognizable. He's in this alien makeup. Why do they do that?" I I disagree. <laughs> but then you watch the movie you're like, "Oh, okay, they did bring it back around to Idris Elba because you see his captain's logs and then you see him uh, almost revert back to being a human at the end of the film. So you did get to see his face. So I, I really liked that part. But I felt like, you know, I don't know how they could have done it to be honest, but I would have liked to have spent more time with or delved deeper into his motivations and and things like that.
1: Yeah. And, and I guess there's, there wasn't a lot left on the cutting room floor. So I've heard two stories where there was a lot and there hasn't been a lot and some of it's fleshed out and some of it isn't. And it sounds like that, um, you know, now that we've seen it a few times and we've heard Simon Pegg talk to it and Doug Jung talk to it, that you, you get a better idea of what happened. But, um, no, I, I agree with you. I think that would have been a key area to understand. I I did, you know, watching it the second or third time, I don't remember when he looked back at the Franklin and he said, "Ah, oh, there you are, my old friend," or "Hello, old friend." Mm-hmm. You know, and I and in the first time I'm saying, "Why would he be calling Kirk his old friend?" And then it was like, "Ah, oh, I get it. Okay. You know, uh the second time you see it, he's looking at the Franklin going, that was his old friend. That was his old ship." Mm-hmm. And uh it, it, it brought that connection, but I it wasn't connecting at all on the first movie, first time I saw it. So mm-hmm. I, I I do agree with you. I think one of the things too that um they need to flush out a little bit more and and maybe stop using it as um as a trope in Star Trek is this whole, you know, um this PTSD warrior Starfleets, not military stuff. Um sometimes I I was <laughs> like Oh, come on! I mean, I mean, the guy was messed up. There's no doubt, and uh, he was sent on on a ship to go explore. You know, it, it, it's uh, to me, it's it's a very large and a misnomer to think that um, that that people who spend most of their time in the service, uh, and I'm one of them, and there's many, many, many others that spent most of their career in peacetime, but then when it shifts, can't shift back. Um, to me, that's silly, and. Uh, you know, uh, what was it that Montgomery Scott said at one point, you know, oh, we're not a military organization right. anymore. And he right. said that in Star Trek uh, Into Darkness, too, as you know, he says it as they're loading torpedoes onto the ship and all that other stuff. <laughs> and, and I kind of laugh, you know, because, um, you know, being military is not a bad thing. And if you look at history, if you look at Captain Cook or any of the voyages or even Darwin or whatever, they were on naval vessels. Um, they were on ships in peacetime exploring the galaxy. That also had another uh, exploring the exploring the oceans, <laughs> not the galaxy, exploring the oceans. But they also had another duty should it arise that if um, they were threatened uh, to uh, to act as a military power. So it's not a um, it's not a bad thing, folks. If uh, you know for for the writers or whatnot of Star Trek, because it was a big debate during the original series. Uh, all the time. Is it military? Is it not? You you can be military and you can be an explorer. They're not counterintuitive. You can be very noble in your profession and trying to seek out new worlds, and you can be noble in the profession of protecting the uh, the home worlds that that you come from. It's okay. So I I don't understand why we have to keep having this line, and I wish they had just let that go. It was just one more thing. i just go, stop it. This is getting old in Star Trek.
0: Right. Well, I guess that was the the fastest way, the shortcut to get to his motivation. You know, tie, tie, it was interesting, uh, you know, the whole Franklin plot line really ties back into enterprise, which is fascinating because that's obviously uh, the most recent Star Trek before the Kelvin timeline. And in this movie, like really legitimized enterprise as far as, you know, they're talking about the Zindi, the Roman war, the, the uniforms of the Franklin and the Franklin itself look very much like a, an enterprise, uh, design. So it's just interesting to have, you know, a, a TV show that, that got canceled after four seasons, 10 years ago is being heavily referenced in this
1: blockbuster here in 2016. So I, I thought that was, that was very interesting. It was interesting. It was great, wasn't it? I mean, that's, that's, that's what I mean. There's, You have that on one end, you have the picture of the original crew, and that's why it's so easy for Ken to say, yep, just one continual timeline that got a little messed up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. It's, it is pretty good. Uh, talk a little bit, uh, Zach, if you don't mind, about the, the special effects in this movie. I thought they were great. I
0: mean, you know, we were talking about the budget being so high, but you see the budget on screen. Right, so it's hard to complain about it when it looks spectacular. I mean, you yeah, you look at, um, you know, you look at the Star Trek Generations, right? And you look at when the saucer crashes, and you're like, hmm, okay. Um, but you look at it here and you're like, oh wow, that's amazing! Like I, even even the way it was directed too. So Justin Lin, like he's handling a lot of special effects, but he, he puts it together well too. It's a, a lot of a lot of it is about the presentation. Sure. Uh, so so you really felt the scope of everything. Uh, when the ship's getting destroyed, it'd be real easy for it to to feel very generic. Uh, like when the swarms coming at the Enterprise and all that. Uh, but but it doesn't. You know, you, you, it doesn't feel generic, and 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 it's actually a really cool new. Uh, thing because you see the Enterprise here it's this little ship and then you see that this swarm of other ships coming at it and it's a very cool visual they executed very well because it's you know thousands and thousands of these drone ships and um, you really get the scale of everything too which is important for, for, for you know these guys are crashing into the Enterprise and they're boarding the ship and and you know all of, all of Kroll's troops I believe were actually CGI oh is that right yeah yeah so i i'm I'm pretty sure that's true there might be a couple scenes where they were physically there but uh so very impressive because i didn't i just assumed they were just guys in suits running around that's how flawlessly the cgi you know uh mixed with with the surroundings so you know whenever you see a special effect and you don't immediately say oh yeah that's cgi like that's a success like you know whether running around on the saucer section when it's crashed like all that stuff looked great it all it all mixed very well and uh definitely the money is on the screen and and as usual with these with these kelvin timeline movies i was very impressed with all the visuals
1: yeah they they did a really nice job the yorktown itself was i thought oh yeah yeah just an amazing design and concept and uh, you know the ship flying through the center of it and all the little portals and everything i it would have been even more fun to to explore it just a little bit more uh but uh yeah from every aspect the boy did they they nailed it they really did and you know there wasn't one scene where i'm going nah <laughs> you know <laughs> and you know that that scene too with the swarm is just about to kind of envelop the franklin was wild you know mm-hmm. i mean it just it just was incredible and um you know i i, I agree with you i thought they 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 did a top notch job on this and i think the aliens that they created in this um in this show were also pretty impressive they didn't go too too far overboard with it um, where you had a lot of CGI crazy you know like um, let's say like a four-legged alien you know anything along those lines they yeah. they kind of kept them um, bipedal and humanoid and all that with, with different characteristics but all in all they you know from every aspect uh, even the um, the topography on the planet you know I mean I know they filmed all that up in uh, Vancouver, Canada right mm-hmm. so they 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 filmed it in in valleys and mountains and all this other stuff and what they did with the colors was just really really cool i thought and they 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 did it right i i i really enjoyed it so i i can't complain i i don't usually um you know unless it's um like a star trek 5 where <laughs> they literally hire somebody who hadn't done anything like that before and figured they could make it work on a on a major motion picture and you know, or shocked when it doesn't. It's one of those things you just go, ah, but, but this house that they, they hired, and it wasn't Lucas. I know that. I, I remember watching the credits. I don't remember who it was. Uh, phenomenal job. So sure. if they can still give us decent quality special effects, maybe not quite so many, I think that's a big piece on why that, that budget crept up crept up crept yeah, well, up
0: there well there were many set pieces there was the ship getting attacked and crashing there was obviously the the yorktown there was uh you know starbase yorktown there was the the big uh kirk rescuing everyone on the motorcycle i mean there's so many big action set pieces if you just take one of those out and tell a smaller story next time you, you have a much more manageable budget so i definitely think they could do that but yeah. um you know speaking of aliens ken what did you think of jayla who was our our main other
1: star of this film. <laughs> I think I called her Kayla earlier. you, you yeah.
0: did, and I was like, should I correct you? I'll correct you.
1: Later. <laughs> no no no, no that's, that's okay. You know what? It's funny. um I, I don't know. I, I, I like I like Irish music too, and I know there's Kayla's and kaylee's and all that stuff <laughs> and Scottish that was what was in my head. But I like Jayla a lot. I think that uh, she was a great character to to bring into the fold. I think she would add a lot of um I, I think she would add a lot to the franchise if they were to keep her. So if she goes off to um, to Starfleet and um, she comes back, uh, you know, everybody says, "Oh, she can come back as an ensign." Oh, well, I said, "Yeah, but she could also go and uh, you know, we know from some next generations that both the academy and enlisted training are both at the same spot. Uh, she could come back as a uh, a very strong engineering mate or engineering technician uh, and and or navigator um, like Chief Defalco or something yeah. like that, and and just pick right back up in, unless we're going another 4 years into the future or something but so that would be a nice way to bring her back i, I thought her character was great I, I they needed a strong another strong female character i think they did a lot with her in this movie you know she was she was kicking ass and taking names mm-hmm. and uh, and they've added another one so they you can never you can never have enough let's put it that way
0: yeah yeah no she was great uh she called uh she called scotty Montgomery scotty you know? Yeah, <laughs> it was cute and then even you know she even she uses that nickname when she gets mad at him later and it's sad and it still works and uh i love that she was listening to the to the quote-unquote classical music right and she's like right I-, I like the loud beats and the shouting <laughs> <laughs> it's just very cute and uh yeah and she had her own little subplot you know too with her family had died on that planet and Talking about, I'm thinking back at other moments because now I feel bad because like no, nothing, nothing in this film were moments to me. There, there, there were moments that I think more about it after hearing what you said. But uh you know, when she's fighting, uh, fighting crawl second-hand man, like up on the up on the uh, building there, and she sees that Kirk is kind of driving away, and you can kind of feel that she thinks, "Oh man, are these guys abandoned me too?" You know, he kind of that kind of got you there, and it was great to see to see them come back and save her, and then when she escaped her planet and got to see it from space. You know that was like her her moment of like okay we made it we did this so her whole subplot was great and added another layer of emotion to the mm-hmm. film and I would definitely like to see her again because it's rare in these Star Trek movies you know you have your you know guest star of the week right uh, so to speak and they don't come back and you're like oh but I liked that character let's see them again so hopefully we will see her again and there there are ways they could incorporate her obviously and we can talk about that a little bit and in are in looking forward to Star Trek four wrap up here but uh, but yeah I definitely like to see her again.
1: Yeah, uh, that was a good call out on your part. Yeah, I I think that uh, she'll add a lot of value, a lot of laughs and a lot of development to the show. And keep mm-hmm. people interested, right? Yeah. She was she was uh, a a great a great character. Okay. So, uh, you know, I I don't know if you're if you're big into the musical parts. I I believe you are. Oh, yeah. Uh we we had a good time at the concert there at, in in <laughs> in Las Vegas. And and you know, uh this is really Bisha's Avenue, but what did you think of the score and the music for this film? So the score, uh, I like obviously
0: Michael G's uh, Star Trek score. I like how the continuity of it from the three films. It's it's you know in our Star Trek film past, it's very rare to have that continuity in the music because it changes so often. So it's great to have that. And uh, I don't I don't know if Crawl had a theme. <laughs> I can't really recall one off the top of my head. I don't remember that, no, no. Um, I mean, I remember all the, all the same Star Trek music cues, which are great. So, you know, solid score didn't really blow me away by any means, but it was there, and, and it, it, it picked up when it needed to, you know, dun dun-dun, 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 you know, <laughs> and all the action beats. Um, as for the music itself, right, Bad Robot is obsessed with the Beastie Boys, so he gets sabotaged yet again. But uh, you know they really made it work. Although they did take the plot of Mars attacks and use it to solve the uh, solve the climax of this movie by playing the playing the music really loud and defeating the aliens. Did you come Im- up with
1: that by yourself, man? I, I did. Wow, right? that's a I mean, great uh, analogy. I never put the two together. Wow, yeah,
0: that's that's the look it up, folks. That's the plot of Mars attacks or, or the climax. It is. But
1: yeah. they embrace the absurdity of it, right?
0: And they went all in, and I respected them for it. And they won me over with, with sabotage. It's like n- 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 I never thought in a million years I'd be sitting in a Star Trek movie, and they'd be like, "Sabotage!" and would be blasting it on the loudspeaker. It's it's really ridiculous. Uh, and then the great, of course, the great moment between Spock and Bones in the ship, and he's like, "Is that classical music?" It's like, I believe it is, Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so great. So that's that's uh, that's my take on sabotage. So.
1: Ah, I'm with you, man. I, I think they did a nice job with the theme. I, I like I like Michael G's theme. I do. I I like that it's consistent. Um mm-hmm. you know, when something works, it's okay to stick with it. They were very, very lucky, very fortunate that um in the original movies from from Star Trek the Motion Picture all the way to Star Trek Six, and they obviously they didn't have continuity, right? You had Jerry Goldsmith, then you had James Horner, and then you had um James Leonard Warner again. Rosman. Yep, Leonard Roseman. Uh, G- then you had Jerry Goldsmith again, and then you had um, Cliff Edelman, And, mm-hmm. and it, it all moved around, but... It worked for some reason, you know. Even Star Trek Five, the best part of it to me was the music. I just I, I thought it was beautiful. Well,
0: I, I think Star Trek Four sounds like a Christmas album, but that's just me.
1: Well, it's 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 a spring in your step um, <laughs> set, you know, where the music has definite beginnings and endings, and it's very solid, and it's 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 kind of a yeah, it's it's a jolly fun time, right? Yeah, and exactly. uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I I, it, I also thought like the original theme for Star Trek Four, when you listen to it, it does kind of it, it has. A mix of that kind of science sci-fi, sci-fi, big action movie, and then kind of that mix of the the happy stuff. I don't know. They Rosenman figured it out somehow, some way. He did a nice job. But we're on we're on, we're talking about beyond, aren't we? Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I think that the uh, I, I like you know I, I like the bombastic nature of of Michael Giacchino's uh, score. I really do, and and I I like you know, kettle drums banging in this big, you know, I I think it makes Star Trek big and sexy and it's like, yeah, this is cool and, you know, as as far as using, you know, um, high frequency to disrupt the swarm, you know, it was pretty damn clever uh mm-hmm. it, i i thought i i didn't now now it'll be forever linked to mars attacks <laughs> and i've got this you know this this awful yodeling sound in my head watching the the martians head explodes and it it certainly wasn't cheesy like that but no, um, no, no. but you are right there is it, it definitely was the same idea although i think it was actually the uh, the music itself in Mars attacks versus just disrupting the frequency and a, val- uh, a valid point, Ken. Yeah. A valid point. But uh, at any rate, it's. <laughs> I wish you hadn't linked those two in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It is funny. I, I think we have um, <laughs> Star Trek Beyond Mars attacks. I think should be the title of the show. <laughs> right. And so it is. And so, and so, let it be said that it be done. So. Anyway, so what? What are your what are your final thoughts on Beyond? That- <laughs> now that I've completely derailed your line of thinking, um, yeah, like like
0: I said in the opening, I uh, this was a great, not just a great Star Trek movie, but a great movie, great fun time, you know, for all ages, you know, uh, and I really enjoyed it, and I feel like we're we're back on track franchise is like okay we got because before this came out like you said people were like well I'm, I'm not too sure about this reboot timeline and you know it was only two movies but now we have a third movie and it was good it kind of makes it it, it legitimizes this whole reboot thing i feel and uh, we can and people are looking forward to the fourth movie because like i said before people were like okay well let's get our trilogy out of the way and we can get back to our quote unquote real star trek that's how some people's attitude was unfortunately but but I feel like now it's the 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 tone has really shifted back around to okay great these are great movies it's gotten Star Trek in the public eye again you know I'm excited about the next one and I absolutely am and um you know speaking of you know what I want to see next you know I, I would uh, you know obviously Anton Yelchin passed away unfortunately tragically uh, so there's there's a void there for for his for Chekhov you know Chekhov was great in this movie Anton Yelchin was great in this movie uh, great actor. Uh, real shame to lose him, um, but uh, but he's you know he's not going to be around for Star Trek Four. J.J. Abrams has said they're not going to recast, and I completely agree with that decision. That's the right way to go. So we have a character opening. Uh, Jayla, as we discussed, she could come back and fill in. I think that would be the the logical choice uh, there. Um, you know, they could they could get real crazy and do like Lieutenant Erics from <laughs> the animated series if they wanted. Good, they certainly uh, could. They, yeah. the, 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 their options are limitless, but I feel like uh, you know. It's, obviously, they weren't thinking these terms when they created Jayla, but uh, having her go to Starfleet Academy sets it up perfectly. So, I'd like to see her again. Um, and, uh, you know, the crew's going to be together, and you know, these actors have really gelled, uh, I feel, everybody in their, in their role. And, you know, I really like the new uniforms, by the way. I know that at, at the time I felt like that's an odd change. Why would they change the uniforms? You know, but uh, they're, a, they're a little simpler, I feel. Uh, because the, the, the ones from the first two were a little over overly stylized. Like you see the Delta Shield throughout the whole pattern. I'm like, yeah, you don't you don't really need that. These are a little simpler. And uh you know uh, the the woman uniforms got sleeves, which I actually didn't someone had to point that out to me. I didn't realize <laughs> that there was oh, they finally have sleeves now, so then we can see their rank. That's that's a nice change. So, you know, moving forward they have the, the Enterprise A like we discussed, you know, so so exciting times for Star Trek. So I uh I really enjoyed this one and I'm really looking forward to the next one. Uh, they said Chris Hemsworth's going to be in it as George Kirk. And what form that takes, I am not sure. I would assume time travel, but uh, I'm a big Hemsworth fan. I love him as Thor. It would be great to see him back back on the franchise uh, interacting with Chris Pine. So that's going to happen too. So, yeah, I'm I, I'm really excited uh, moving forward. So good job, Star Trek Beyond. You, you did your job well. You celebrated the 50th anniversary well, and people are happy.
1: Yeah, you summed that, nice. you summed that up very well, Zach. All I'll add to that is... I hope that um they've they've created a much steadier platform. They've built a real solid foundation to launch additional movies. I think that there is no reason why the movies can't continue on alongside of uh, Star Trek Discovery and whatever they're doing on the TV show. I know a lot of people say Star Trek works best on TV. I don't dispute that. But I do like having my favorite franchise be represented in these, you know, very expensive um well, you know, uh, thorough uh, big productions and, and, and really get to immerse yourself into it. There's just something that uh, you can't do on a TV show that you can do in the movies. And if you can get the movie right, I think they play off each other very very well. So good luck to them. I, I hope they can. I'm I'm looking forward to see what they come up with with Star Trek. 4. every time I hear time travel, I cringe. And then every time I see a movie about time travel, they seem to pull it off beautifully. So I don't know. Somehow that works. So we'll see how they do this, whether it's through time travel or through recordings or holograms or, you know, whatever. I guess, I guess we'll find out, but uh, it should be fine. Okay.
0: Well, it's been fantastic talking about Star Trek Beyond here on Standard Orbit, but this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you might've missed elsewhere on the network previously on Trek.fm, The Ready Room.
1: I saw most of the original series with my grandfather between the age of like two and five, so a lot of my early, early impressions are based on can a two- or five-year-old basically (laughs) sit through an episode (laughs) and find something they like in it? Okay, Kirk is running around like a horse, which is kind of fun, I guess. Standard Orbit. When it was asked of him if he would be in a role or would be willing to take a role at Captain Kirk, he has come to grips with the fact he is too old to do any of that stuff. And it just wouldn't work, which I thought was very telling. And a great joke about Leonard Nimoy. You know, it's one thing when you go back in time and you still find yourself being old. Oh, yeah. That means you're really old. <laughs> that was a good line. That was a good line. Meta Trex. The only thing it was missing was a Geordi PowerPoint. Yeah, about the closest thing we have to a Geordi PowerPoint in, in Star Trek Beyond, Mike, is Spock trying to point out the location of Uhura's radioactive tracking device necklace. He gave her a radio tracking device necklace. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscription button. That makes it easier for our listeners to find the show when they search for iTunes. And we love new listeners, so please, please, please subscribe directly to Standard Orbit as well as the Trek FM Master Feed and help us increase our visibility for new listeners. Also, we would ask you to help us out with Patreon. Well, what is Patreon? Well, Patreon is the method that we use to fund the network. So I would encourage you all, if you can, if you can afford it, to go on to Patreon.com. That's patreo ncom com slash Trek FM and become a patron. And for as little as $15 a month, you can join Trek FM's patron roundtable, which is wonderful. I mean, this is how I found my way onto the network. And who knows? What could happen to you, right? You you might find your way. And then if you're kind enough to donate $25 per month or more, uh, you get associate producer credit for the shows of your choice, and that's a big deal. And speaking of that, we would like to say thank you always to our associate producers for this show, for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thanks so much for all of your support for both Standard Orbit and for Trek FM through Patreon. You can find Renee on Twitter at mres underscore seventeen oh one. Richard, you can find at at rut eight nine seven two, and you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at Geek Filter, all on Twitter. So look them up, follow them, and uh, and thank you again.
0: And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look into the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. Please leave us a voice message that we can play here on the show. You can hear your own voice on the podcast. Pretty fun, so feel free to do that. And you can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM or through Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM and the Babel Conference. To find us at the Babel Conference, type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Babel Conference is a great way for you to connect with fellow listeners, and the hosts of the network. So as for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H and I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman TV show and we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S.
1: What about you, Ken? So you can find me as well on the Babel Conference. That's where I like to hang out. It's my favorite spot on Facebook, to be honest with you. It's the safest, funnest, a most respectful spot to talk Star Trek on the entire interweb. So look for me there, and feel free to also look for me on Facebook at any time. And feel free to I am me with questions, or 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 if you just want to hook up and be friends, or you can uh, you can get information from me via Twitter. Yes, I am on Twitter now at Boston SCPO. That's Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer SCPO. And I look forward to communicating with you in between these shows and especially when they drop. That's when it's a lot of fun. So we'll talk to you soon. So thanks, everyone, again for listening. And join
0: us next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit.